Hello everyone, Justin Vakula here with another episode in my Stoic Philosophy series. Today's episode features Travis Hume, who talks about applications of Stoic Philosophy. Visit my website at justinvakula.com, where you can find links to my social portals, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and see past Stoic Philosophy content on YouTube, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. My Stoic Philosophy series explores the tradition of Stoicism with goals to inform, empower, and help others benefit from practical wisdom of ancient Greek, Roman, and modern thinkers, including Epictetus, Marcus Aurelius, and Seneca. For the Stoics, a main focus is pursuing virtue to attain a well-examined life through practical applications of philosophy, acting with good character, using reason to form accurate careful judgments about the world, and achieving contentment. Stoic writers focus on many perennial human concerns and urge people to take action applying what they learn to everyday life. Self-improvement is central to Stoic thought, strengthening and improving one's mindset. Travis Hume is the creator, administrator, and writer at AppliningStoicism.com. He is 27 years old and currently serves as a special education paraprofessional. He aims to write full-time on the application of Stoic philosophy and the restoration of its system. Let's get on to our conversation. Thank you for joining me today. Yep. All right. What sparked your interest in Stoic philosophy? Uh, My interest started in my sophomore year of college. I was attending a intro to philosophy course, and I had pretty skewed expectations of it. I had this uh, bias against it that I didn't really have a foundation for personally. Uh I heard about different philosophers in the class And because of this bias that I had going into it, I expected to hear what I kind of heard (laughs) through that bias, which was different people talking about what's good and what's evil and more or less that I should take their word for it. Uh And it was a mandatory class that I was forced to take. So a combination of these different elements meant that I wasn't really absorbing a lot of what I heard effectively. There was uh, one philosopher that I heard uh, very briefly about, which was uh, Epictetus, who, like the other philosophers, mentioned that these things are good and these things are evil. But because of the way that the information about Epictetus was phrased, something about it really drew my attention briefly. Different things like doing the best that you can with what you have for the time that you have it and appreciating it and then being able to let it go is a good foundation for life or that doing the right thing and trying to do the right thing continuously is enough to be happy. And my brain kind of kicked back on that and what I personally believe is kind of like a cultural bias where I thought, yeah, that sounds nice and it kind of matches up with different statements. Like it's not what's on the outside, but what's on the inside that counts and money doesn't buy happiness, Mm -hmm. but nobody really believes that, do they? (laughs) Nevertheless, that, that feeling of it getting right into my gut, this idea that is it really possible to truly think that way, to completely think that way? Because I felt about one sixth of that way, but then kind of attributed it to this fantasy of that sounds nice and I hear it everywhere, but does it really pan out? Right. And time passed and I remember being in my room, my roommate was out and I thought to myself that 
all of my studies were taken care of. I had no homework. I had good grades. I was in a financially stable position. I had different romantic interests that I was enjoying. And I had the whole weekend and room to myself. And things were at that point as good as they had ever been in my own kind of assessment of it. Pretty solid. <laughs> You're right. And I thought to myself, okay, well, in this moment, aren't I supposed to feel some kind of like Hollywood bliss takeover? And I'm supposed to feel as though there's this deep pervading sense of contentment and peace in me because everything's, you know, everything's coming up, you know, Travis, so to speak. And, and I didn't. And that was, was a threat. <laughs> <laughs> almost that that thought process of if it if I, I don't see life at this moment getting any better than this within the next few years you know given that i was a sophomore mm -hmm. I, I should be feeling differently right so what's missing what's what's not going the right way i i kind of fought in like in a kind of like a personal survival sense against that thought and said to myself, well, everybody feels this way sometimes. And just because you don't feel it right now doesn't mean that you're not going to feel it a few hours from now or however long. And things things can only look up from here. And that's what you got to focus on. But it was, it was a really ineffective thought process. I, I thought to myself, well, there's nobody that said that says that it could be any different. And then I remembered that feeling that I had in the intro to philosophy class, which was the idea that I can be happy by focusing on things other than, than money or being well-known or uh, being well thought of, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Is it really possible to be happy just by trying to do your best and to be a good person? And that, that thought process, understandably, is very attractive because it doesn't depend on the other things that aren't at that moment giving me fulfillment. Right. So I excavate my intro to philosophy book from underneath my bed, packed into however many boxes, and I say to myself, maybe there's something more to this philosophy thing than, than I'm giving credit for. It wasn't, it wasn't so much Epictetus specifically that I had in mind at that time, even though it's, it specifically spurred that feeling, but the idea that maybe there were other things generally in this book that could help me too. So I spent the next summer or so reading front to back this massive like 500-page volume, and a lot of it was, was really dry stuff that was painful frankly to read through for mm -hmm. example is the same table that you're looking at the same table that i'm looking at because of differences in light that are being skewed from both of our perspectives right and other than that i i caught some feeling that was replicative of what i felt in that intro to philosophy class when i heard of epictetus but it, it, it came close but it didn't quite match it. And I saved Epictetus's section for last because of two reasons. The first reason was, was that I wanted to make sure that I wasn't missing out on anything in the book, that it wasn't just 
that one section that could that could have meaning the the other aspect of it was that i was on the inside afraid that it wouldn't mean anything at all and that and that i would effectively be back to square one so the section in the intro to philosophy book was epictetus's enchiridion mm-hmm, and yeah. right and the only other information other than the Enchiridion that was in that book was an extremely brief synopsis of who Epictetus was. It mentioned something about Stoicism, <laughs> and it mentioned something about a guy named Zeno being a part of it somehow. So I, from the get-go, I, I existed in this vacuum where I thought, okay, this one guy, <laughs> Epictetus, said this stuff, and Zeno, some guy named Zeno was involved in it somehow, and it has something to do with something called Stoicism. Maybe Stoicism was something that Epictetus came up with, and Zeno kind of partnered in on him. You <laughs> very, know. very introductory here, yeah. Right, so I, I, I effectively filled in a lot of these different blanks, which, as far as I was concerned, that's just what it, it was and what I needed to do based on the information I had available. Right. So... I, I was reading, I read through the Enchiridion, and a lot of it was, not a lot of it, but some of it was, was rough. Um, the acknowledgement that the things that are material around us are by nature temporary, mm-hmm. and that we need to think of those temporary things in terms of being appreciative for the time that we have it, but also being able to reconcile the fact that they're not always going to be there and that we should make peace with that. Friends, family members, pets, uh, different things like uh, the truck that we value so much that we put so much uh, money and time into, different things like that. In, in the Enchiridion, compared to the other philosophers that I was reading, there was an explanation of different things that you had to do in order to prepare yourself personally to really think that way. And it said that you needed to change aspects of how you approach things on a daily basis such that other people could very well laugh at you or uh, drill you for answers about why you suddenly changed uh, your behavior one way or another. Mm-hmm. And and it said that there's there's no trade that is going to leave you with all of this stuff in you and having you feel this way without there being some kind of uh, sacrifice, like the example that he gives either in the discourses or the Enchiridion, I can't remember, where you're in a marketplace and you are wanting to trade for something from a shop stall. Well, you can't have the cabbage without paying for the coin, like paying with the coin. Right, it's, right. it's an either or. But if you decide not to get the cabbage, you still have the coin, but there has to be a trade somehow. And I said to myself, if this stuff really is going to work, I'm going to need to give it my absolute best shot. And then if it doesn't pan out, at least then I I know for sure, like what, as far as I'm able to tell in that moment, what the conditions of life are. So I spent every day for about four months reading reading the enchiridion it took about an hour per day 
throughout those those four months, and I still refer to it pretty consistently on on a day to day or every other day basis. But I didn't go as far as as reading the entire thing. I started trying to really think in terms of what I was reading, but a large part of it was simply trying to remember what was written. Not so much the appropriate context to apply the stuff or what was the full full meaning behind what was being written, but just simply what was being written and then trying to remember what the possible meaning is and then trying to remember what the possible appropriate context is. And then from that, what the appropriate action is to take based off of those elements. <laughs> right. Lots of steps. And, right. right. And so I understandably Epictetus somewhere recommends that you have to start really really small because you can't go from zero to 60. It's not an overnight change. You have to start with things very slowly. So different situations would come up on a daily basis where I would fill up my coffee, my coffee mug with lots of creamer and sugar in it, just the way that I prefer it. And as I'm going out the door, I drop something on the ground. I lean over with the backpack on my back and the coffee mug in the slot of the backpack and I angled myself in such a way that the coffee that I just made tumbles out of the side of its holster and then it goes all the way all everywhere on the ground oh, or no. right. And I remember that situation and thinking to myself, am I going to approach the situation appropriately? <laughs> because, <laughs> because it effectively, right, there, yeah. right. Because it effectively meant that either I was going to be late for class and make more coffee, or I was just going to accept what happened, use what time was in between in order to clean up the mess and then make peace with it. And and I made I made peace with it, but there's other situations that that were like that. Um, but eventually, I began to feel more confident that my behavior was actually changing, and I started to feel motivated. I felt as though I was less impacted by the many 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 minor inconveniences that happen on. A day-to-day basis. I felt more secure and in control that what I felt was what I felt and not a combination of what I felt and the information that I was receiving from other people. So I thought to myself, uh, after about six months or so, I'm feeling more confident. Where do I go from here? Because I seem to be able to somewhat reliably, consistently apply this stuff on choice by choice basis. And I said, okay, well, where I'm supposed to go from here is trying to help other people benefit from these different exercises of choice that I'm making to be able to show people that it is possible to not be fully committed to the pursuit of external things in order to be at the very least at peace and desirably happy at the same time. Right. So many practical benefits there. You're you're talking about acceptance, gratitude, uh, all these changes in behavior. And that's, that's a main strength of stoic philosophy and having these practical benefits and changing our modes of thinking rather than, as you said, reading the intro book and not really finding much of practical value from that. Yep, I agree 100%. So I I began looking at opportunities in order to try to 
fill out that social aspect of stoicism of trying to encourage other people to improve themselves and to work with other people paraphrasing marcus aurelius as like two pairs of teeth or two feet or two hands working together i began asking around for volunteering opportunities because frankly i had no idea where to look so i started volunteering for a special needs nonprofit organization that was local. I would teach fitness regimens and nutrition to uh, special needs individuals mm -hmm. and for about like an hour or two a few times a week. But I also wanted to expand on that. And I began looking for opportunities within the campus that filled a similar role. And I thought to myself, what kind of position would make it so that I have to be in the public eye, not because of the respect or adoration or anything that would be granted to it, but because I would my conduct would be continuously observed all the time. <laughs> uh, what would also give me resources in order to potentially benefit people? I discovered the resident assistant occupation on campus uh -huh. and applied to it. I didn't get it the first time. There was something personally going on in my life that made it very difficult for me to properly approach it in stoic terms and be able to overcome it. So I was kind of doing this wave type thing where some days I felt on top of it that I was that I was approaching it effectively in a philosophically consistent way. Other times I felt as though I was aware that I'm not yet competent in this stuff within the Stoic framework to approach this in the way that they would have as the people that I'm reading after would have. Right. I did what I could to try to make certain that the next time that I was considered for this type of position, that I would improve my chances or do what was considered the uh, conventional route, which was to email the persons that were in charge of selection and saying, uh, is there something that, that I can work on or improve uh, so that I can get to a state where I might be considered uh, for the next round of selections? Mm -hmm. And they... And they said, well, we were, we were pretty impressed with your answers, uh, but you seemed very uh, reserved, which I understood going into the, into the interview that it was all that I could do to try to, <laughs> you know, try to stay on top of my own mind in that circumstance. So it was shortly after that that I said that this is just another stoic lesson, that just because I didn't have this occupation, it didn't mean that I was suddenly weaponless so to speak to help other people like I, that i was somehow incapable rather to uh, benefit others in the same way that i imagined that i would be able to right. if i were in the position itself and it was a week after that that i got a call from the interviewers asking if i would uh be willing to replace somebody that happened to um, for one reason or another, not take it. So oh, I accepted. So it worked out after all, right? And and I thought to myself, it is a it is a weird coincidence that right around the time that I actually accept that I'm not going to have this 
thing that I've been building up for that that it kind of happens. I I do everything in my power from that point on to treat the residents that were depending on me directly and indirectly in in a way that would help them both conventionally in terms of what my role was as a resident assistant and personally in terms of how I treated them. I continued that sort of day-to-day approach doing my best to try to learn from what was happening on a day-to-day basis, including some really weird situations that only happened in college, and um, to try to learn, to try to think of things not in terms of the occupation itself, but what kind of improvements I was making to myself using the occupation as a vehicle. I began doing these different things around campus in order to try to build on that. So I had this idea where I was fairly comfortable with my day-to-day responsibilities as a resident assistant and that I was able to reliably apply stoic philosophy to my my daily activities. You got the role you wanted and now you're able to actually take on that challenge and see if you can live up to the standard and apply these concepts. Exactly. I didn't stop there. Um, from From there... I began looking at other similar opportunities on campus, and one of them presented themselves in the form of a senator position on in student government. So I applied to become a student government senator. I was accepted and then placed on the Committee of Finance and two subcommittees, which I wasn't, I wasn't expecting. But it just kind of happened because of the way that members' choices panned out. Mm-hmm. And I thought t- I knew that volunteering the the resident assistant responsibilities and the other responsibilities working in student government were a lot. I was aware of that. And I, and I was really taxed for, for time and, and very quickly energy on, on a day-to-day basis. But I maintained it for about a year. And, and I did so purposefully because I thought to myself, okay, I'm able, I feel comfortable with these different responsibilities according to these different roles but i want to see how i handle taking on quote unquote too much at once right and and i framed it in my own mind like testing a new submarine where you you have the submarine go lower and lower until you hear like the the creaks and the pangs and stuff of the uh, mm-hmm. hull reacting to the pressure so I eventually gradually backed off of the student government responsibilities because I felt as though I was splitting my effort and helping people too widely. I wasn't able to direct my energy effectively. And I did some student representative work for the university around that time. And I, I thought to myself eventually that I wanted to think of what different responsibilities or different positions I could pursue after graduation, because I'm not going to be able to be a resident assistant forever, right. because it's dependent on the fact that I'm currently attending school. And an obvious evolution from the resident assistant position is a graduate assistant position, which is a, effectively like an assistant to the residence director and the residence director is responsible for 
depending on it's it depends on a university to university basis but around 400 to 500 students in a particular residence hall building and unfortunately i was in a less financial comfortably financially comfortable situation at around my junior senior year and i wasn't able to take up the graduate assistant position because there was no guarantee of a stipend or a salary or an hourly rate Ah. that would be able to properly account for the expenses that I had. So I tried to shoot for the residence director position. And it was around my senior year that um, I met uh, my fiance now, and I ended up moving. So there was about an after graduation, I had a year or so where that aim of becoming a residence director kind of got pushed because of the circumstances to the background. So I, for the last couple of years, I've worked with uh, special needs or emotional support populations, both public and private schools. It was really difficult much of the time, not because of the students themselves, but because of a multitude of different conditions, including some very undesirable ones, um, when I was working in a uh, behavioral school, mm-hmm. I played with the idea in the last year or so of going back to uh, getting a master's degree or securing a master's degree. But that came after I had applied to about uh, 120 or so universities around the around the country. Oh, wow. Big process there. Yeah. And, and I, I took the time that is that is expected on paper to research these individual universities, to tailor a cover letter to these universities that takes into account the different unique aspects of them. In all, I received about three interviews. And in these, in these interviews, uh, there were two questions uh, that were common. The one was, do you have management experience? And while it can be argued that resident assistants are managing a floor and, and resources and things, there's the expectation that you have a, a title or an in-position management type role that right. they're looking for. And I admitted to them, I, I don't. I, I've done different things whenever I could in order to build management experience, but that I didn't have any title that matches that so the other common question was do you have what are your plans for a master's degree in each of these applications there was 99 out of 100 times the request for a master's degree or that they are preferred right and and in my research in these universities i had the answer of i've researched your master's degree programs I would pursue these master's degrees, this master's degree while I was working, and I got very close with one of the universities that that I had actually preferentially wanted the most to work at. It seemed like the process was very sure, where my clearances were uh, updated and paid for uh, by the university, and... I was, I, I went through the uh, two rounds of interviews, and 
it seemed at that point very unlikely that I wouldn't get the position. So I, nevertheless, I downplayed when other people suggested that it was a sure thing that you know Travis's Travis's clearances were paid for, and there's no way that they would do that unless they right. would you know follow through. And I discussed it with uh, one of the uh, teachers that I worked with in one of the schools, and they said that they had effectively spread it out around to the different staff members, and so they were asking me, when's it happening, or I've heard a rumor, that sort of thing. A couple of weeks passed after uh, the clearances update, and I messaged the, the contact person, and they said, we're sorry to inform you, but somebody else has been chosen. Wow. And in that in that moment, I had the the thought process that there was only this specific moment that I could choose to either believe that it's the end of the world or to try to approach it in a philosophically consistent way. And it was it was very difficult for me to do that, but I accomplished the latter. I, I was able to say to myself, that there are many considerations in play that I am not aware of. And mm -hmm. I cannot base my response simply on the fact that I believe that I was denied this this thing it erroneously because I'm somehow entitled to it after having my clearances updated and, and the interviews going very well and right. things. I, this, this position was not mine just because... I did absolutely everything in my in my power externally to try to pursue it. Um, so after I had accepted it, I began to even out in terms of saying, okay, what are my options now? What do I look after? And I thought to myself, the follow-up is to give them what they want. It's to either pursue uh, management-type positions or to pursue a master's degree but in these sets of considerations these positions were still vehicles that thinking that i had when i had accepted originally that i wasn't going to get the resident assistant position the idea was was that these positions are just materials and mm -hmm. the resources that that accompany them typically are resources they're not ends in themselves the end is to try to make myself a stoic. It's to try to incorporate these philosophical principles into myself and act on them reliably. Right. This is this is a major theme in Epictetus's work as well about recognizing what's in our control, what's outside of our control, and just making do with circumstances, doing what's in our power, as you said, to maybe influence an outcome, but ultimately it's it's not up to us, and that's a part of accepting that. Right, that's correct. In this process, I began writing an article for modern Stoicism called the Applying Stoicism, the the Stoic Career. Mm -hmm. And as as is a theme in the other writing writings that I write, the information that is displayed is everything that I have tried to apply myself, the specific situations that it, it mentions, I'm looking at it now towards the bottom, um, there's different examples of persons 
having reacted to a workplace accident or to try to bring up an issue of contention with how a supervisor is handling a situation and whether or not it's appropriate. Right. These these different situations are things that that had occurred and that I had tried to approach and resolve myself. The stoic career, the title of it, is what I believe my career is and what I believe other person's careers can be if they choose to pursue practicing stoicism. Right. Every Everything around uh, the the stoic philosophy is is material for it and marcus Aurelius mentions at some point in the meditations that the quality of reason can be effectively thought of as a fire where things can be piled on top of it and in this case that's being filled by the uh, concept of these different materials and responsibilities and things and it can just be heaped up higher and higher and in and in this realization that I could I could think this way, I began moving away from pursuing a res instructor position, and instead I focused much, if not all, of my personal resources on on writing. So I've effectively chosen writing and trying to uh, benefit people through the writings that that I commit over these ideas that somehow these external careers are in some way ends that I've been treating them incorrectly. So there's an upcoming article that I'm working on and the name is, is still to be determined. I'm still working on that aspect of it, but the, the theme of it is, is that it's, it's not necessary to hold careers to be the end all the careers can instead be used for self-improvement. You can accomplish this by practicing Stoic philosophy and different reinforcements in the article as to why that is. Right. Maybe the career is just a role that we happen to play, as you mentioned in the article, that it's a part of our lives. It's one area in which we focus our efforts, but is that the ultimate end, right? That you're talking about wanting to have a foundation for life and this career maybe just one part of that, but the foundation, the principles, the values that we have happen to be the focus. Right. Some other items you mentioned in the article, you talk about facing certain moral dilemmas in the workplace and the dangers of people just blowing things off or covering up certain incidents. Can you talk about that? An example that's where there were different decisions being made in the organization that I had been working for, which formed the basis of those sentences where the the staffing was not sufficient to meet the the day-to-day responsibilities or expectations in the workplace and the conditions in this workplace were regularly uncomfortable and occasionally dangerous and i understood that there was a risk in approaching the supervisor who was more or less the the owner of this particular extension of this organization and i brought this up uh, with them i recognize that they wanted to change the situation they wanted to introduce 
some kind of balance to the uh, conditions of safety, but that they had also felt compelled to respond to the persons that were over them who had different expectations. So the idea was is that her hands were effectively like bound together or something and that there was nothing that, that she could do. And I responded to it by reporting the circumstances from outside. There was another situation where the different coworkers um, in this in the same organization were willing to forego this documentation process, which is the situation that's referred to in the article. Right. Uh, that was detailing this incident that had happened that was very serious, and it required a very serious response in the form of making sure that the workplace incident was fully detailed, that it was committed to writing from different perspectives, and that it was submitted in the appropriate way to where it to where it needed to go. And it was towards the end of the workday, and they had discussed in front of me just not doing it. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just wow. r- right, just just avoiding it of saying like the situation happened. Uh, we figured out what to do about it. Um, this sort of thing was was pretty serious. Yeah, but it, it happens more or less, you know, pretty pretty often. So it can just be kind of left to the left to the void, or it's just oh. noise. That sort of uh, approach. And, under the rug. Oh. Right, exactly. So I, I suggested to them the right thing to do was to fill it out anyway. That it's and, and using where they were personally in terms of what they considered to be valuable versus what they were afraid of, and and suggesting c- convincing them that it was in their best interest to take the time to do it anyway, and. And I gave them different examples, such as it. you would honestly, even though it doesn't seem like it in this moment, you guys would feel better if you went ahead and, and did it anyway, because it's, it's the appropriate thing to do. And because it's, it's very likely that due to the severity of this situation, that it's not something that you can just get rid of. You have, you're going to have to approach it one way or another. And, it's go- and the c- circumstances are going to come down way way harder on you if if this is uh discovered right and maybe the, even termination dealing with guilt right. yeah and and in the back of my mind i i was gauging their reaction because the the, the first aspect of it was convincing them that it was the appropriate thing to do because it may lead to changes in the situation that would lead to greater security measures um, because if if somebody on the receiving end of those of those documents said wow that place is this this particular situation is serious enough that there has to be a response to it and as it turned right. out there there was a response to it um, down the road and that 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 particular document was, part of the reason uh, behind but following that in addition to the appeal to the appropriateness of it the following it up by saying 
you know, if somebody discovers this, understandably, they're going to react in this particular way, which is going to be way, way worse than if you spend the 45 minutes or so to make sure that it's documented properly, <laughs> it's corrected and submitted. Right. In that circumstance, if that did not work, then suggesting to them, because of my personal code of ethics, I, I can't not respond to this. So if you guys are unwilling, to <laughs> you're document just going to go this, ahead and do it yourself. Yeah, I would. Right, I was going to do it, and I would. I would mention because of the circumstances that you guys were present, which means that the supervisors would say, "Okay, well, I got Travis's documents, but where were their documents?" Right, right. Thankfully, the combination of it's the right thing to do. And the this is going to happen, it's going to come down way harder on you if you don't do it was enough to actually have them do it. Well, that's good. And it's good you told them that rather than you just filing it. And then all of a sudden they get summoned to the, the boss or the supervisor. Oh, hey, what, what happened here? Are you covering something right. up? Right. Yeah. Yep, exactly right. Right. So you're able to apply the principles that you've learned from stoicism about what being forthright about things. No not ignoring problems, actually looking to fix things to make the world a better place and not procrastinate as well, common themes within the literature. Right. And and I understand, I, I personally, in that moment, thought to myself, because it was the end of the day and, and this situation was chaotic and required uh, mental investment and effort, to the extent that I felt, you know, personally exhausted, as exhausted as the other people involved in the situation uh, was, was that my preference, obviously, is not to expend the time or the effort in order to make sure that it was properly documented. My preference in that situation was to not have the situation happen and then <laughs> right, to right. just be able to go home and do what follows from that to relax a bit, uh, to take care of chores or whatever without having to worry about something that happened that was particularly intense at work. Mm -hmm. But that my preference wasn't match, didn't match up with what actually happened. And what was right in front of me required my choice. Either I do the right thing, which is synonymous with taking a stoic concept uh, trying to factor in the context into it, choosing an appropriate action in light of that context, and then finally committing it using words, energy, action, that sort of thing. Right. So that was a case of applying stoicism. Stoicism in right. practice there, right? Yeah, right. you said it. <laughs> and that's that's one challenge of the workplace and the work world, right? That we'll be working with people who have different values. Maybe people aren't doing their jobs well. They're not putting the effort in or they're, they're being inconsiderate. Well, following stoic principles, how are we to deal with this reality? So the, the response to that is in large part acceptance. There is going to be many multitudes of people that do not share stoicism as their philosophy of life <laughs> right. and possibly many more that do not believe that they have a philosophy of life or hold themselves to a philosophy of life. Of course, that is said uh, without being able to know what a person is feeling or thinking or what they hold to be valuable and why it's it's a very general uh, 
assessment, the the motivations that people have on a day-to-day basis are oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes drawn from the different experiences that they've had earlier in life, all the way down to being very small, like three or four. Mm-hmm. The idea that uh, this the feeling of pain is very uncomfortable, therefore, all things that cause me pain must be bad or the the feeling that i ate this cookie and the cookie was pleasurable because i activated the different like sensors and in, in my mouth that told me that this thing is sugary or sweet or salty right and and those things are good not being uh not not thinking beyond that point not being addressed and being said okay somebody from outside that I respect coming to me and saying in those circumstances, yes, this feels good. But what also feels good is, is trying to do the right thing. And then starting this gradual process of this philosophical upbringing where a person is able to understand the differences between their preferences and what they need and what is fulfilling to a human being as a social and rational animal because his life is not just about um eating until you're full or <laughs> sleeping on a comfortable bed or having access to the many many un- untold numbers of um se- things that allow you to self-stimulate or things like things like TV or video games or comic books or Right. So maybe looking for a healthy balance, but not having one thing or pleasure as the priority. Right. Depending that I'm, I'm going to, I, I risk going into a conversation about different cultures and how they approach those subjects differently and the introduction of different philosophies mm-hmm. and, and religions and things like that, because each of those things shape how a person comes to process information but right. in in my personal opinion habit is is the the biggest driver of a person so a person thinking to myself thinking to themselves i've always done things in this way or i've always approached things in this way or this is the way that i was raised or uh thought processes that are like that of right. i've always done things or approached these particular types of things in a certain way so introducing new habits can contradict the habits that are already present. And I believe it was Seneca, I'm paraphrasing, but the idea is, is that you're effectively trying to bend straight a bent stick where you, where the older that you are, the more firm your positions are about the state of the world and the more uncomfortable it becomes to try to change your behavior in light of new information. Right. It's because difficult you, to break the habits. Right. Because you, you've effectively piled many, many, many experiences one on top of the other. And on receiving new information, you may be inclined to take into account that information but you're much less likely to do so 
if, for example, you are sitting in an intro to philosophy class and <laughs> you have, until that point, heard all of your life that money and being well known and you know i heard uh, this person said this thing about me or did you hear that i'm being recognized for this particular award is is what most if not all people seek after and then being told well no that's that it doesn't have to be that way and to go further it shouldn't be that way and and feeling well yeah okay i hear what you're saying and I want to believe it because something about it really appeals to something inside of me, but nobody believes that. Right. It's that, that sort of thought process. It's only once you try to apply these different concepts that, that make sense, even if they are contradictory to your, your means of habit, the way that you've been behaving until that point, that's, those are the sorts of changes that, for one, you need to determine for yourself if you are going to make. But in terms of Stoic philosophy, it is something that is asserted that you should make make the choice to try to change your behavior gradually, even if it's very uncomfortable. Mm. All right, and there'll be a longer term benefit rather than just the short, right? It's it's That's common. Correct. It's common within Stoicism to say to be self to be self reflective, to question your desires, to question your motivations, and actually see that there could be a darker side of desire. That seeking fame can have its negative consequences. That pleasures can have their negative consequences. Right. So the the impression is is that everybody is doing what appears best to them in that moment based off of what their current sensory information is and how that factors into their judgments of the circumstances following from that their habits or modes of behavior that are drawn upon saying okay in this in similar situations i reacted this way or have this perspective on right. this thing and once those habits or modes of thinking are reinforced enough over a lifetime they in in my personal opinion i believe that they take on the role of of what people call beliefs where there's this position about certain things in the world that are reinforced either personally or externally or a combination of both over a lifetime. Yeah, to look back at Seneca's text, there's a quote here, there is nothing that will not surrender to persistent treatment to concentrate it in careful attention, however much the timber may be bent, you can make it straight again. So here, there's some sense of optimism that with hard work that with attention and a proper mindset, that we can modify our habits and improve our quality of life. But that's going to be a difficult process, right? We're going to have to really look at ourselves, look at our lives and come to think that, yes, maybe we want things to go differently, especially when things aren't going well, people might hit a certain sort of bottom and be inspired to make changes in their life and taking accountability, right? Not blaming external things, not blaming other people, but saying, well, I can make some positive steps for change. Yep, that's 100% right. Um, there's, it's something that Epictetus talks about a lot or references a lot this idea that i touched on somewhat before that you can't trade one thing without there being a similar trade in in a different place and that you can't be somebody that that invests most of their effort into 
getting the next big thing or to get a uh, more powerful or prestigious position and at the same time be able to devote effort to improving your uh, virtuous qualities to make yourself more courageous or empathetic or uh, enduring or patient Mm -hmm. uh, or compassionate. Right, that we might lose an element of our character in some way to compromise something, and even selling out could be a very negative thing, to compromise mm-hmm. our values completely and hoping to get something. But will that really bring us a greater quality of life if we lost our character and lost our way? Right. Consistency is, is a really uh, big aspect of, of stoicism, mostly being knowingly consistent is is stressed to be something that is incredibly important the idea that if you knowingly make a uh, mistake in terms of you know being philosophically consistent then it's not not a big deal it it, is considered to be a a big deal because you've effectively chosen to act in a way that's contradictory or that even, you know, flies in the face of these of these different concepts that will, in turn, these concepts will allow you to become the person that you are trying to uh, work towards, that person that is more creative, so more enduring. And Epictetus mentions a conversation that he had with Musonius, his uh, teacher, where. Musonius and Epictetus are talking about a mistake where Epictetus knowingly did something that that he shouldn't have, knowingly that it was, uh, in some respect, philosophically inconsistent. And then Epictetus saying, just because I messed up once doesn't mean, you know, that the world's, that the sky's falling down or Mm-hmm. In this case, he said, like, the capital wasn't burned down just because <laughs> I, I knowingly did this did this thing. And Musonius responding by saying, like, no, this this was the capital. This was the whole point of these of these different exercises. If you miss the point, <laughs> then you miss everything else. All right. Good. We're coming up at the end of the time here. So how can people find you online? I have different websites, uh, chief among them is applying stoicism.com mm-hmm. on on that main site all of the all of my writings have been posted on there and are made freely available applying stoicism uh, compilation which is an aggregation of all of the written content posts that i've posted to the applying stoicism facebook group which is where it all all of this started mm-hmm from the beginnings from early 2014 and still going i have a google plus page which is effectively a mirror of the facebook group Mm -hmm. where you're not missing anything if you are part of the google plus group because everything is is translated over there it's just a preferential if you choose to uh want to um, view it on Google Plus or not. There is a Applying Stoicism Twitter, which functions as a news feed. It's updates on whether I've updated the resource list, which is a compilation of different websites that are either partly or 
entirely dedicated to stoicism on the applyingstoicism.com website. Um, occasionally, I will post quotes on there that are very short, very brief, that are statements that I'm applying to some situation that I happen to be approaching in that moment or have approached in the day. And you also have a list of stoic resources. You have some compilations of your work as well and lots of other content that people can find. So you're applying stoicism.com. You're on Facebook, Twitter, and Google plus, and people can support you on Patreon and donate with PayPal as well. All right. Anything else before we end today? I just wanted to thank you for giving me the opportunity to be here. And I hope that this conversation is helpful to those listening. Okay. Thank you for your time today. Have a great day. And thanks everyone for listening. Bye everybody. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for more content. Visit my website at justinvacula.com where you can find links to my social portals, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and see past Stoic philosophy content on YouTube, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Consider donating if you support my work and would like to see more for this takes time, money, and effort to produce content. Have a great day.